Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast. I'm so thankful you're listening. Look, can I lean in close? (laughs) What we do here is so simple, but the equipment that we have flat out stinks. I'm using a webcam that is at least 15 years old. This laptop has froze up, shut down, restarted, and lost all of the previous episode I've just recorded. So why am I saying that? If you watch this program, if you listen to all of the audio editions on pathdesign.com, and you have any interest in helping us get some equipment that actually does this exponentially better than what we presently have, look, I'm just saying in honesty, in honesty we could use that. I'm not, man... <laughs> This is no pay for your monthly love gift. I'm not doing that. I get so many people say, Joel, just put it out there that people can support you. I just still can't find a clear place with that. I always say maybe that'll change. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, look, if you want to help us have some equipment that actually gets this done so I don't have to record some episodes three or four times, look, I'll take the help. I'm just going to say that. I'll put that there. Well, that's kind of weird to say at the beginning of of an ongoing series, right? Yeah, I know. We're not very professional. We don't want to be. <clears throat> There's plenty of that everywhere else, people trying to impress you. Look around. This is a sheet from a bed. And see see what the camera did on me there? I'm telling you, test my patience, but we're going to drive through. We're going to get through to the other side. We're going to do part two. I think it's part two. I've had to record it a couple times now. Ugh. Compassion in the belly of the fish. We're looking at the book of Jonah. We're going to pick right on up where we left off. We looked at a little bit of an overview of the the people of Nineveh, their condition, what we're told in Scripture, what we're told in a little bit of history. Um, They were a violent, idolatrous Syrian nation who, man, when you looked at them, ah, yeah, God needs to get them. Take them out, oh great God, right? But what can we learn from this account in the book of Jonah in light of their condition what the prophet was called to say to do to deliver to them and most importantly what we will see in uh, chapter 3 about what they actually did to respond to the word of the Lord once it finally got there once Jonah's rebellion finally relented a little bit after what? After what we'll get to. So, at the end of verse, or rather the verse, at the end of chapter 1, Jonah is eaten by the great whale. I presented the idea that I'm fully convinced presently from things I've looked at, commentaries, studies, old writings on different opinions. Um, I'm convinced that Jonah descended to the bottom of the sea, deceased. I think he died. Um, and that's why I renamed this study, as I alluded to at the beginning, that I believe the, the, the consuming of, of Jonah by the great fish was his deliverance. It was his opportunity for redemption. It's, it's one among many examples in this book of the redemption of God. That he desires to use men to reveal himself to men. It's, an, it's, a, it's a simple pattern. And as I'm talking about, and why we're even talking about this specifically in this hour, is I am fully convinced that the church of this age, of 2020, has got to get through their minds 
They've got to get into their perception of, of humanity that, you know what? No one is too far from the mercy of God. No one's too far. And people, listen, I, I have said that to people. I could say that now to different individuals. And they would rush right to scriptures that want to combat that truth. Oh yeah? Well, what about Deuteronomy? Oh yeah? Well, what about what God did in Joshua? Oh yeah? And, and this is what I'm always saying. It concerns me greatly how the church seems to delight in finding ways to justify the wrath and judgment coming to men. Now, we don't want it on ourselves. We're free. We're delivered. In many cases, let's just be honest, we never really needed God's forgiveness. I've always been a good person. That taints much, much of Christian American thinking. But the reality is, his mercy has been extended to every single one, and I want to be the one that extends his mercy and grace and compassion the best I can to anyone who might be fertile ground, to anyone that might be positioned and postured, not according to what my eyes see or what I even feel is my opinion, but what is true, which is God desires none to perish, and I want to be someone who lives likewise. Same perception, same belief. Motivated by that. <clears throat> so we're going to read chapter 2. Jonah is in the belly of the fish. I would say he's already died. There's a lot going on here. We'll try to touch on each thing. We'll do some word studies as well. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Okay, he's in the belly of the fish at this time of chapter 2. And he said... I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help. He gives us a location. From the depth of Sheol, depending on what you believe, what you study, what translations, this and that and the other, Sheol, Tartarus, Hades, all the understanding of where the soul went previous to Yeshua coming and setting captivity captive, and all these changes, Abraham's bosom, the location, post-death, pre-resurrection gets complicated it's not my thing go to somebody else for that teaching but anyway that's where he is he's crying out from the depth of sheol and oh god you heard my voice is what he says you had cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the current engulfed me your breakers and billows passed over me so i said i've been expelled from your sight now just when i read that i'm reminded of how at the very beginning of the book of Jonah, we're told that Jonah wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord. He wanted to escape the sight of the Father. And in this moment, it reminds me of creation with Adam and Eve. And when they rebelled, when they themselves chose their own will, their own well and way and, 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 and self-deification to be like God, which in a sense we have to be open to realizing, doctrinally speaking, that is possible, but God says, no, 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 not, not like that now. Not your own way. I kind of told you not to go that way, not to eat that fruit. And then we have a little talk with the council, Yahweh and his council. Oh, man, they're becoming like us. We have a real problem. That's for a whole nother day. Whatever the case, though, they, they sin, they fall, they rebel. What happens? 
hiding, shame. They, they themselves were the first forerunners of rebellion and what? Hiding in sin and shame. They said, we have to flee from the presence of the Lord. Same thing Jonah has said in uh, chapter 1. Here's the word of the Lord. Flees from the presence of the Lord. However, in chapter 2, we see the mercy and kindness of the Father. And what does he say? I have been expelled from your sight, but nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. So Jonah, at this point, somewhere within here, he decided in the depth of Sheol, I'm going to return my gaze upon the presence of the Lord. I'm going to write my gaze back to the Father. I'm going to desire again, if nothing else, at least incrementally in measure, I'm going to go towards the presence of the Lord instead of continuing to flee. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you. Into your holy temple, those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. Even if this was a fleeting, momentary event for Jonah, he had a moment with a voice of thanksgiving. Now, let's, we could step back and we can look at the entire book of Jonah, as short as it is, and be like, not much thanksgiving in this guy. Not much thankfulness in him. He's a bitter, angry, jealous, miserable man. But in this case, he's having a moment. He's having a prayer of supplication to God. Why? In his horrible condition, where God turned away from him and allowed horrible conditions to come upon him, possibly death. I agree. Again, I believe so. He goes down to the bottom of the ocean. He's wrapped up with weeds around his neck. I believe he dies and he has this experience. And he says, that which I have vowed I will repay, or I will pay rather. Salvation is from the Lord. We talked about that, the introduction. Look, God, salvation is yours. It's up to you. It's, it's yours. It's your possession. It's from you. It comes from you. It originates in you. You are salvation. You're my salvation. Then, verse 10, the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah, Jonah out onto dry land. So, what if, verse, what if chapter 2, verse 2 is literal? I called out in my distress. You answered me. I cried out from the depth of Sheol, and you heard my voice. I think this is literal in the sense that he was literally there. I think just like all the stuff about, like we talked about, Tartarus, uh, Abraham's bosom, the place that the soul went at this epoch of time, I think he had that experience. I think that he descended. And when he's there, he has all these realizations, as, as you and I probably would do as well, a little bit of reckoning of our life and what we were doing. And he has this experience where to the point of death, which is to the soul, or nephesh, and weeds are wrapped around his head. What if this is a literal event that actually, that, what if that's what it took for Jonah to be captivated by the plan of God, the word of the Lord? 
He says, I descended to the roots of the mountains, but you brought my life up from the pit. And I would say, like in light of the, the message title, what if the great fish was actually a tool of God's mercy and deliverance and not judgment? See, I've got to do that to try to reset this thing. Exhale, it's okay. And see, like breathing on it apparently makes it go out of focus. Oh, now we're changing color. Isn't that a nice feature? Help me, please. <laughs> Ancient cultures. Now, this is really cool. The beginning of the year, I did a really lengthy study that admittedly I never finished about ancient deities, uh, mythological gods, little e Elohim. Um, and there's just fascinating stuff. I looked at, man, I spent a month on Dagon um, and all the stuff in the temple worship and how, you know, ah, I can't go into all that. That's, that's going to be for another time. But one of the things for this area specifically, Nineveh and the surrounding areas, is they had a, a, a strong prominence of a, a fish god. It was often depicted in, in statues and everything. You can see all this stuff in any kind of archaeological type finds. Half man, half fish. They brought fertility, like most pagan gods did. Um, brought um, provision, water, um, healthy crops, you know, all these things. They worshiped the creation rather than the creator. And so all these gods, in this case, there was very likely um, a fish god. And so I just, I'd like to imagine just the this, this scenario of that time frame, if we can kind of put on our, our imagination and go back in time and think about these people who very likely had a fish god who lived in the ocean. And back then, man, the ocean was considered like, it was, I mean, what do we have all these books, extra biblical books you can read about mythological creatures, um, these giant beasts at the, at the heart of the ocean that no man can go there. You couldn't go there. You couldn't do what you do today. You had vessels, of course, that could maneuver some, but not like today where we can explore many, many things with technology. So back then, man, you didn't, the ocean was not for the everyday man. The little bit I understand. And so it was very mysterious. It was very scary, to use a, just a simple term. And so just imagine if, if you're a people, of, part of a people group in that land who have a fish god, and you're down at the beach, you're fishing, you're, you know, whatever, you're building a sandcastle, and you see a large fish out there, and you see fins surfacing above the water and the waves, and it comes in closer and closer, and it comes all the way up to the edge of the beach, and you back up, and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing, who knows what it was, it's speculative. We know it's a great fish. It's huge. It's large in size. And, and just imagine, if you will, if you're that man with a, with a pagan deity fish god in your life, and this great fish comes up to the, to the beach side, opens its mouth, spits out a human being. And I was just talking to a brother yesterday, a well-learned man, just about his opinions. What do you think about this? This is what I've been studying for the last 10 days. What do you think? Trying to find where I was with some other opinion. And he was just talking about how, like, how Jonah would have likely had, how he would have looked when he came out of the belly of a fish. Now, number one, again, I'm, I'm promoting he probably died a physical death. Number two, he's been in the acidic stomach of a large animal for three days. 
He is covered in who knows what. This man yesterday said his skin was probably bleached, his hair. Um, I was thinking he'd probably be shriveled up like a giant raisin if he's been in that kind of condition for days. And so anyway, imagine this real-life scenario now. And this man comes out of this giant fish onto the beach. Maybe he gets up, pulls some of the nasty off of him. And what's he do? He begins to go towards Nineveh to declare the word of the Lord. I would present at least a possibility, knowing what we know about mythological pagan gods and deities, is it possible that word spread, this man has something to say. This guy has something to say to us. Even if in their off thinking, even if in their pagan ways, this guy got spit out of the mouth of a fish, y'all. Jim Bob down there saw it. My sister, whoever, saw it. Or I myself, I was there and I've been following him all the way here to see what in the world is this guy going to say because he's come from heaven. He, they probably would have said he's come from the gods. We're not told that. It's speculative. I like to imagine the scenarios of what they might have looked like in real life. Whatever the case, we know as we'll get to in the text, he had their full attention. Even as really... I wouldn't say he was like super excited all of a sudden about bringing the word of the Lord. He does things in small measure at best. But he does at least respond in obedience in measure for a time. So, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That's in chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, and it it goes on to these different things. Jonah must have known something about God because the word he says is very simple. Nineveh will be overthrown. We're going to read the text. It sounds like perhaps knowing what we do about Jonah that we've already set up, he's very hard-hearted, stubborn, no grace, no compassion, none for anybody Probably not even for himself. Nineveh will be overthrown. So why the opposition then? Why would he have been opposed? This sounds kind of favorable to what Jonah, seemingly, from what we're told, would actually prefer to say. Let's read chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim... To it, the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. God is so patient. So Jonah arose. He went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three days walk. Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown, like we just said. We're going to look at overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh, Believed in God. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I thought these Ninevites were like horrible, wretched, lawless, pagan, wicked, wicked, vile, adulterous, violent men. Okay, yes on all counts. And they hear the word of the Lord and immediately they believed in God. They believed in God. We have to continue and we'll come back to this. And then they called a fast 
They believed. They called a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, so this is already ongoing now, the people are responding to the word of the Lord through this stiff-necked prophet, spit out of the belly of a fish through the mouth onto the beach, traveled to Nineveh, delivering the oracle of God, which is what? Nineveh's going to be overthrown. I want to get to that so bad, but please just wait a second. They're calling a fast. So the word reaches to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. When the word comes, the word comes to the king. He hears it. He gets up. He lays aside his robe. He puts aside his image. He puts aside his identity. He covers himself with sackcloth. And he sits on the ashes. And he issues a proclamation. And it said... In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Nothing's eating. Don't let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered instead of eating and drinking with sackcloth. And let men call on God earnestly, that each may turn from his wicked way, individual response you 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 turn from your wicked way and turn away from the violence which is in your hands we talked about that previously in this series violence what was violence because we talked about it being a warning to us in this hour people who want to be violent who want to execute god's justice depraved injurious same condition in genesis 6 pre-flood Turn from that, is what the king is saying. Under the heavy hand of God, mercy, mercy, repentance, removal of self, putting on repentance, sackcloth and ashes. Turn away from violence, which is in your hands. Who knows? This man, this verse 9 and 10, I'm telling you, we need to just put it on the walls of all of our churches. Right at the doors, when we go out, at the doors of our homes, on our dashboards, on our rearview mirrors, on our mirror in our bathroom, on our hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. God may re- withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. When God saw their deeds, what were their deeds? That they turned from their wicked way. Then God, Yahweh, relented concerning the calamity which he had himself declared that he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Y'all listen to what I'm saying, please. Church of 2020, here, Jonah chapter 3, verse 9. And we're going to bring this part to a close. I want to go back and take you to the introduction part, and I want you to imagine the people that you see is too far from God. It may be your family, but I'm talking about people you likely don't even know, just like a group of people, a sect of people, a race, a denomination, a movement, a position, a doctrine, a type. I don't know. Everybody's got something 
in their heart about someone. I'm telling you. It's inbred in us. It's, it's given to us at birth. These things are generationally handed down and we have to turn and repent. But in this specifically, whoever these people are in your mind that just like comes out of these screens just oozes out like a sickness and a disease from media and culture. Christian media and culture. Conservative news. It oozes hate and brother against brother. And I see it all over the church. I see it in her everywhere I look. I'm not saying it's in every single one, but man, if you take a broad stroke, man, it is dripping off of the body of Messiah. The same thing that's fueling this age. Brother hating brother. Division. Division. Rightful justice towards the evil lawless ones. Get them, God. We're standing for what's right. We need to be careful. Because I'm saying, we know God is just. We know, man, you cannot disregard the things of the Old Testament. It's like, God's just not like that anymore, brother. Now, he's hippie Jesus, and it's all fine with him. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, look at, let's look at the full attributes of the awesome Father. He's judge. He's righteous. He's holy. He's merciful. He's kind. He's patient. He's slow to anger, and he desires absolutely none to perish. Both are true. Both mere components of the complexity of the perfect Elohim of Elohims. So all I'm saying, what if, what if, in our heart's posture and position, we look at people that we say they don't deserve to know God? Lawless one, lawless one, lawless one, and hours and hours and episodes and episodes and videos and videos and sermons and sermons and sermons. Doing what? Regurgitating the, the message of how lawless the earth is. No kidding. No joke. I think we know that by now. Pastor, teacher, leader, evangelist, prophet. I think we know. I think we know. I think that's pretty clear. So guess what? What if, what if, in faith, not in our own doing, in our own ability, or anything that we say other than the truth of the gospel, which is more than just Yeshua Messiah, the wholeness of the gospel, the redemption plan of mankind to be purchased through the blood of the slain lamb Messiah, to walk in intimacy in the garden of God beside the Creator? What if? What if those people that you think in your mind, you're just convinced, vile, wretched, lawless ones, and you almost like just want to, right? I see people talk like that. They, they seem seething with rage towards executing justice for God. But what if we speak the word of the Lord and they say, they, whoever they is for you, who knows? God may turn and relent. He may withdraw his burning anger against me. Maybe I won't perish. And then maybe they will do deeds of repentance in response to the word of the Lord coming. And guess what? 
they turn, they change, and guess what happens? Should you yourself, in fact, be regenerated Christ man, they have the same experience you had. Or are they not good enough? Are they not good enough to, to get the goodness and kindness of God that you have gotten? We have to ask these questions. The church acts like their arrogant, prideful deity who never sinned, who have forgotten their first love. They have forgotten where they started. Or in fact, I would say some never knew. Some have never realized their depravity apart from the redemption of God himself. There's things for us to learn in this, friend. I'm going to end this here. I'm trying to keep all these right at 30 minutes, so we're going to go to the next part. Compassion in the belly of the fish, man. The whole point of Jonah is God's compassion. What if he turns? What if he relents? What if we put on sackcloth and turn and repent of our wicked ways? What if they do? What if they do? What if I have the faith and the expectation that God can redeem that man? Why? Because he redeemed me. Because he redeemed me in my lowly condition when I had idols. When I was lawless. When I was without hope. I was redeemed. Or is that not good enough for that man? Shame on me if I say that in my heart. Jonah was a stiff-necked, hard-hearted man who said, Those people don't deserve to know you, God. And God wasn't having it. But even in that, God shows his redemption plan by, by correcting and scolding the obstinate prophet and still it, it pouring out his mercy even upon him. Brings him back. Try again, Jonah. Give him the word of the Lord. We're going to look at some more words in chapter 3. Get to chapter 4. Don't, don't miss chapter 4, man, whenever we get there. Seriously, it's incredible. Not what I would say about it, but what the text is. When we dive in there and start digging out some of these things, these word studies and stuff like that. So please stick around. Thank you for listening. Go to pathdesign.com. Send us an email. pathdesignpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, YouTube, Licky, Likies, all these different things, whatever. Do what you want as long as you listen. Thanks for coming. Join us back for the next part of this study, Compassion in the Belly of the Fish.